Hi everybody, my name is Nicola Morass and I am beyond excited to share this interview with you all and I know that you are going to be incredibly excited to listen to it and read all about it as well. Wanted to introduce you to the amazing Joe Muirhead. I have known Joe since 2011 when we shared a mutual mentor and we've kind of become somewhat inseparable <laughs> since. It's been, <laughs> it's been a really long road. <laughs> it just gets better over time, right? Yes, very much so. <laughs> Absolutely. So welcome, Joe. Thank you for letting me be the driver today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nicola. And this is really unusual and awkward right now, but we'll get there. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay for being uncomfortable. Mm. So I think it's really important that we talk about this book of yours. You've written what I know is an amazing piece of work and more importantly, a really important piece of work that is going to help so many people out there in the world. You've called it the entrepreneurial clinician and I can't wait for you to share this masterpiece with with your audience with your people what i'm really curious about is what an entrepreneurial clinician kind of looks like for you i know you've been in private practice for nine coming up yes. 10 years yes. and i'm just really curious to hear you know the, the some of the journey that you've been on and why this thinking has come about okay nice and broad questions thank you Nicola. um <laughs> welcome. <laughs> so uh, like, rightly so, I, I've um, been in private, my own private practice now for nine years. Prior to that, I had worked in other people's private practices. So I've um, cut my teeth in the, in the Australian federal government system and then I worked in New South Wales Health and then I moved into private practice. And, and for me, working privately, it, it, it just it was a better fit for me. So I, I enjoyed that. But it got to the point um, where I was not enjoying uh, leadership and uh, management in other organisations. I started to develop my own opinions around things. I was thinking uh, like so many of the therapists and clinicians I, I meet on a day-to-day -day basis that if I was able to do the work, meaning my clinical work, the way I knew it could be done and not all this other peripheral stuff that seem to find itself on my desk, then I would be able to help clients heal, um, make change, transform. And, and I expected that I would feel better about my work. So that was my journey. Um, I'd, I'd burnt out pretty, pretty badly in my last in place of employment. It was not a very pleasant uh, removal from that. So I, I retired in my 30s. <laughs> and then promptly invested my life savings into the US stock market uh, and because uh, apparently a trained monkey can learn how to trade the US stock market but Joe, who is a smart, intelligent, university qualified and educated woman couldn't do that very successfully. So I gifted the US economy my life savings and then I needed to put food on the table. I was a single mum at the time so it was like, wow, we need to eat. Yeah. So I went back to what I knew, but I, I went back to what I knew in the way of wanting to do it in the way that I knew it would work. So I positioned myself as an expert. I positioned myself as somebody who was able to work with what other uh, rehabilitation counsellors in my space would consider to be complicated or complex because I, I just seem to have a, an affinity and an ability to make the complex simple 
So that's mm-hmm. where I started. It was only ever supposed to be a thing I did until I worked out what I wanted to do and I had enough money left over to do it. And um, within six weeks, I had more work than I knew what to do with. And I started uh, bringing on an associate or a subcontractor here in Australia. And then because of the way our taxation system works, I needed to develop a company. So my mum helped me come up with the company Purple Co, uh, which means purpose for people as opposed to let's heal or something. Um, And then from there, I just discovered that this was the thing that I was born to do, which was do really good clinical work, but build a business that looked after people that made me feel good about myself and allowed me to spread that message to the people that also work inside of my business, but that we provide services to. I had never seen that done well. And I thought, surely we uh, as health professionals can treat people better than the way they're being treated. So I don't, I never had that epiphany one day where I woke up and and went today I am going to create a business it's it's been very much a uh, process and I think that's probably one of the clear things I need to say is being entrepreneurial and being a clinician is not a destination Um, and early on when we knew each other if we used the word journey I would I would end up under the desk and in the fetal position so I just don't enjoy process and don't enjoy that concept of journey Uh, Now in my wisdom, I understand (laughs) the importance of process and and journey and the value that time and reflection and hindsight gives. Mm -hmm. So for me, being able to tap into what I now know to be entrepreneurial thinking has allowed me to build something that works for me, for my family, it works for my team, it works for my customers and it works for our clients. It allows us to solve problems. It allows us to be creative. It allows us to be agile. So when the market changes or when governments change or when social policy changes or when opinion changes, we can be ready for that change and and quickly make change. The bigger we get, the more difficult it is to implement that change. So I don't really have plans for too much more growth um, because I like doing things differently and having those challenges. So... I've always maintained that I'm a rehabilitation counsellor by, by trade. That's an unusual qualification. There's not too many of us here in, in Australia. Um, I'm a health professional. I trained with physiotherapists, speech pathologists, occupational therapists. Um, we all kind of went to uni together. So I have a very strong understanding of anatomy and physiology as well as the impact of force change or injury and, and disability on a, on a person's life. So I take my identity as a health professional very, very seriously. But what I love about being a rehabilitation counsellor is that I get to be creative with my clients every day. It's like no two clients are the same. No two, you could have exactly the same person with exactly the same diagnosis, but they'll respond to their experience completely differently. And those skills, I think, have allowed me to be really honed this, this, what I understand to be entrepreneurial thinking, which is about solving problems, taking a risk and solving problems. And I think I've been doing that for a long time. (laughs) There we go. Long answer to a very big question. Thank you. (laughs) It was excellent. And I think one of the things I love, I hear you say all the time, is that you, you like to help people make work work for them. Yes. Which is really in that individualization and the tailoring of the solution and the creativity that you're able to bring, which I think is really awesome. 
Oh, it is. We spend so much time at work and I've always been fascinated around the intersection of people and work. I've been working since I was 14. It's a very mm. strong work ethic in my family. Work is what we did to make, our, make sure we were accepted. I don't need all the therapists writing into me, asking me if they can help me with that, dealing with that. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, we spend so much time at work and work is such an important part of who we are and, and how our society functions. I don't want people to miss out. And, and work has so much to contribute to us. So we, but we need to work out how to make it work for us because we're in this, especially as health professionals, we have this amazing capacity to care and to give. And the people who miss out are ourselves. We will give until it hurts quite, quite a lot. So if a client says, the only time I can see you is 2.30 in the morning, then we're likely to say, oh, okay. Um, and that was done when I was working with people returning to work in bakeries. I choose not to do that now because wow. nobody needs to meet me at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what, do you, what kind of feeling or philosophy do you take in and do you really promote for people who are wanting to be a bit more entrepreneurial, like what's the, what's the main, within their practice, mm. what's the main message you think for them? Okay. Who we are is more important than what we do. So in this day and age, we can't hide behind clinical speak and what we think is professionalism and ethics and sometimes is and sometimes isn't. That is not an excuse to be unprofessional and unethical ever. But we have customers and clients and people who use our services these days who are much more savvy than they were 10 years ago. We have information at our fingertips. People turn up to an initial consultation with us pretty much with a treatment plan they found on Google. Um, And that presents a lot of opportunities for us because it means clients are coming to us a lot more engaged and a lot more interested in their own health or their own wellness. And, but they, they also come with incredible expectations. Uh, and, And we have a responsibility to help them understand what are reasonable, what's not reasonable, the amount of work that's involved. That's, that's where Dr. Google ceases to be useful because Dr. Google isn't going to customize and, and provide a tailored, tailored solution. But I get, I see so many clinicians hide behind the letters after their name, their credentials, their modality. Um, so how many times, you know, hi, I'm Joe, I'm a CBT expert. It's like, a what? Um, or, you know, people expecting that their, their networking and marketing language or even their communication is, you know, I provide CBT to people who have an adjustment disorder so they can transform their life. It's like nobody's looking for that. No. <laughs> um, so I get a bit frustrated about that. And I get a bit frustrated that we still have schools of thought that tell us that we have to leave who we are as people at the door so that we don't interfere with the client's healing process. And, and there's some, some truth and necessary boundaries that we need to have around that. But when you think about who you have in your world, you want to know that you're being cared for and you want to, be know, you want to know that you're being cared for by a person. Otherwise, if we take that personhood out, the only thing left for us to compete on is price and availability. Um, because anyone can Google online how to find an OT, how to find a rehab counsellor, and then the top three come up on, who have paid the most for your Google ads 
but is that person going to be the right person to help you? But our clients don't know any better and our responsibility is to help them know. So my biggest takeaway is who you are is important. There's, There's not a lot that's new. I mean, artificial intelligence is fairly new. We're not trying to compete with that at the moment. Um, so the way we present information or modalities or theories, you don't have to come up with the next new thing. You just need to come up with the way to make it understood by the person in front of you because you might be the person that helps that client or that prospective client get for the first time in their life that they need help. And that's a massive, massive gift we have that I don't think we take seriously. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, what I what I hear you saying through all of that is that it's really about, yes, you've got to be professional and yes, you've got to be ethical, but it's also really important to be human. Yes, please. Humans connect with humans and like you say, if you can talk in normal plain speak to a potential client, how you're able to help them solve their problem mm. or work them through something, then that's invaluable. It, it, it so is. And, and we've all had experiences of other health professionals or medical professionals where we have felt like a number or a diagnosis or like we haven't been cared about. And we've, we can all cite those stories, but we continue to perpetuate that. And we can't keep perpetuating it. It's not good for anyone because people aren't going to come and say, please help me if all you're going to do is treat them like a child or disrespectfully or not even meet them where they're at. People won't get help. And then what happens when people aren't getting the help they need? That's not what we went to uni for. Exactly. Which is really kind of interesting because that leads me into the next question that I had for you around this, around this thinking, this shift in how we are Mm -hmm. and how kind of how we engage. So how does, how do you define being entrepreneurial and how does that tie into this whole conversation? Okay. So being entrepreneurial and being clinical are not mutually exclusive. And and that was kind of the project that I set out on was, can I be both? I've, I've had this internal tussle about three years ago where it was like, if I'm going to be this business owner, then I probably shouldn't be doing clinical work anymore. And then I've happened to meet lots of, clinicians who have been on an entrepreneurial journey who are doing it really well. And I'm like, okay, so we can do this. And then the more I spoke to people and researched and thought and practiced and coached and mentored and trained, I've actually learned that it, we can't be mutually exclusive. Um, because when we're, we're not, this isn't just for people in private, their own private practice either. We've got employees who need to turn up to places of employment with this entrepreneurial mindset or this ability to think entrepreneurially. So what I mean by that is solve a problem. So the entrepreneurs that we know, so in in the 20 years ago, an entrepreneur was somebody who built a massive empire and we read about them in the newspaper and they possibly had the surname of Murdoch and we, you know, (laughs) we emulated them and we kind of went that that's nothing like me. However, The information age and the age of the internet um, has allowed us to have this entrepreneurial lifestyle, which is not the same thing, but, you know, the laptop lifestyle. But we all want to have the lifestyle benefits that come with what we think is entrepreneurial type of work. Uh 
I was going to digress, but I came back to point. So thank you. Okay. So being able to solve a problem allows an entrepreneur to create something that people will give them money for. Mm-hmm. Being a, an entrepreneur can solve a problem in a way that people can receive the solution, which allows there to be an exchange of value, which is usually money. Mm-hmm. What do health professionals do every single day? We solve a problem. You need to learn how to walk. I can help you do that. You need to learn how to manage your anxiety symptoms. I can help you do that. You need to learn how to build your resilience so you can go back out into the world. I can help you do that. We are solving problems all the time and we're providing a solution to people in a way that they can grasp it because that's what we were all taught taught to do. It's being client-centric. So the the skills that, that are required for being a really successful clinician with engaged clients who are moving through treatment are not that different to being a successful entrepreneur. I think where we as health professionals get unstuck is when we start questioning our worth, am I good enough? And there's an exchange of value around money because in all honesty, no one wants to make money out of a sick person. Yes. We, we just, we don't like that, but that's where we get tripped up in our head and we think that the two have to be mutually exclusive, but, but they're actually not. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So what opportunities do you think this different way of thinking, this entrepreneurial way of thinking can really help health professionals these days? So entrepreneurial thinking allows us as health professionals to work out a lifestyle that we want to live and make work work for us. That's the first, because that's what it's done for me. So I don't live in a cycle of burnout anymore. I can choose how many hours I work and I build my business around what life I want to experience. Don't get it 100% right 100% of the time. I am still a health professional, but I get it right more often than I get it wrong these days. Yeah. And if we don't, I don't, if we don't have that at the centre of our thought processes, then we will make ourselves sick and we will continue to cycle in and out of burnout. And seriously, burnt out clinicians create poorer patient outcomes enough research about it. It's cited in the book. Um, Just if you're burnt out, please get help is basically the thrust of that there. So the first opportunity I see is that we can look after ourselves because nobody else is going to. It's our responsibility to do that. The second, um, well, another one is is making sure that we are contributing to the needs of clients. So if, if we're waiting for health regulators or big business to be at the forefront of innovation, then we got it wrong because they're too big. It takes them too long to make change. They need us as solopreneurs or small, medium-sized businesses who want to craft something unique and and different. And then then we create change. So I, I really do think the opportunity for us is that we have this groundswell of health professionals going, enough's enough. I'm here to treat the people, not fulfill some some other philosophy that needs to happen. And I think once we're taking care of ourselves and we know that we're taking care of our clients and we start to see the impact or the ripple that that has, because every client will go home to a family, will go into a community, and this is how we change the health of our nation. Very Mm -hmm. simplistic way of we do it. It it then gives us freedom to start being creative around what the solutions for the future might be. So we know that you can't avoid the fact that technology is, is, is replaced. We've got, you know, technology inside our humans now. It's, we've only scratched the surface of what's capable there. Um, but we're never going to remove the need from the human interaction. 
like <laughs> I went to a, a seminar not so long ago where we had a robot presented as a personal carer. Wow. And I, so, but it was a tiny little robot and its role was to get me out of bed in the morning and make sure that I had a healthy breakfast and make sure that I got my tasks done for the day. I, I would have picked the thing up and thrown it out the window and made a car run over it, which I'm not going to do with a human. <laughs> but I just think we've got some creative ways and creative things that we can do with it that the interaction with technology there's lots of opportunities there but it's never going to remove the need that people need people that's yeah. we're created for a relationship as much as relationships often hurt we are so there's yeah. there's my opportunities <laughs> I love that thank you when it all comes back to who we are <laughs> exactly it's really cool so to flip the coin for a second, so we've got opportunities, that's really great. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know what are some of the biggest, the biggest challenges, the biggest roadblocks that, that clinicians and health professionals who are about to start on this journey or who are already on this, started on this journey, that, that's yeah. your favourite word, into <laughs> embracing entrepreneurial thinking or, or wanting yeah. to down that track what are some of the biggest challenges that they are likely to face the fear of the criticism of our peers which is something Seth Godin in his book tribes brought to my attention and I read that book probably at once a year and mm -hmm. that is the bit that always jumps out of me that the people we are more scared of criticism than we are anything else and for health professionals we are terrified of being criticized by our peers Mm -hmm. So being able to let go of comparisonitis and perfectionism and the FOMO and thinking that we're not as good as everybody else, we're probably not, but chances are we're better than some. Uh, and that yeah. shouldn't stop us from doing the thing that we know that we're called to do, even if it's only for a season. Like I, I yeah. used to work with um, uh, people that had complex psychological injuries as a result of workplace trauma or something going on there. And um, I, I would find it really hard to work with that demographic now. But you give you, you send me a 55-year-old gentleman who is now questioning his whole purpose in life, who's had bilateral hip replacement and a major depressive episode, who's no longer got a job, that I know what to do with. So yeah. I think we've got to move away. There's so much pressure put on everyone to, to create this version of this ideal client it's, it's the ideal client is not a shopping list. It's not a real person. It, it's a marketing method to help you, clinician, get that information out of your head so you've got something to, to work with. Anyway, read the book. You'll understand what I'm talking about there. Um, so I think that, that we need to let go of criticism. And then as health professionals, we need to get better at being kind and compassionate to one another because the only people who are breeding this level of fear around criticism is because it's been going on. And this yeah. is not allied health professionals. I've seen this in hospitals and I've seen this in GP clinics. So it's just endemic. Um, I think the other, the fragility that we have is um, because we are really risk adverse by nature. So how do you become an entrepreneur who is wanting to take opportunity and take a risk when if we get it wrong with a client, there can be disastrous consequences. So yeah. we're, we're really in a risk management framework all the time. How do I mitigate a risk? How do I ask the client to do something so they don't perceive it's risky and so I know that they're going to be safe doing it? 
So it's really hard for us to, like you said, flip the coin and start going, ooh, here's an opportunity that I haven't done before that I don't know will work, but let's see if it can and wow, because we just go straight to I can't, I can't, I can't, or what if, what if, what if. Mm. So we need to have a balance of the people who will ask us the hard questions, but also balanced with the people who can say, well, what if it could work? Yes. What if it could work? So we're, we're usually our own worst enemies. Um, and I think, too, if, if you're not um, making sure that you've got your regulatory compliance under control, you're, you're just breeding problems for yourself. And I know that came back to a tactic very, very quickly and not big picture mindset stuff, but I, it scares me how many clinicians who have been in business for themselves for quite a long period of time who haven't got their tax compliance sorted, haven't got their superannuation or long-term life savings sorted, who don't know how to look after their employees. I'm just like, oh, you're a lawsuit waiting to happen. Please don't do that to yourself. Yeah. Just so do you think that you, if, if they're experiencing that, and I'll just draw upon that last point, so they've got, we've got to make sure that the tax everything is sorted. You've got to make sure that your insurance stuff is sorted. You've got to make sure that your super and long-term planning is sorted. Does this thinking around being an entrepreneurial clinician, is that something that you feel like they really need to take care of themselves? Or like what's, how do they deal with all of that when they're dealing with everything else, reports and clients and marketing and everything that they need to deal with? Well, you've got to understand where everything fits. So we like to think that everything is linear, that A goes to B, which goes to C, and if you do that for 26 times, you end up at Z. Um, and which is awesome if you've got a fractured arm and you need six weeks to heal and you immobilize it and then you take the plaster off because um, yeah. that's a linear process. But most people don't live in a linear process. So we need to be able to integrate all of the person's life. So it's no different for us as clinicians. So we need to understand where all the different parts fit. So you need to become a master of your domain. And your domain is not just your word domain, your internet domain, that's not what I mean. <laughs> you need to have mastered or you need to have mastered your clinical skills, but you need to have mastered what's the customer experience you want to give, which is the whole heap of stuff around branding, not just logo, but what's that experience you want to give? And then how do I look after myself into the future? Then how do I look after myself into today? So if you're starting from the premise of who do I need to be? rather than what do I need to do to make money this week? Who do I need to be so that I can look after what it is I need to do so that I can have the things that I want to have? Uh-huh. And it's to everybody, and I know this is not just health professionals, anybody wants to jump straight to the tactics of how do I get more money and how do I feel safe? How do I get more money and how do I feel safe? Live that life. I can tell you what happens. You get more money and you make yourself sick. Exactly. And exactly. I know you've lived that. I have <laughs> a few cycles around. <laughs> mm-hmm. So don't, don't do that people. That's not necessary. So you got to get, and it, it's, it's a really introspective journey for a little while because it means you've got to understand the parts of yourself that you may not like, but it also means you have to embrace the parts of yourself that are awesome. And that is probably harder for most of us than saying, I am crap at marketing. I'm crap at management. I am crap at money. I'm crap at, um, report writing or note taking, keeping my notes up to date. It's it's harder for us to go. I am awesome at 
helping people walk again. I am awesome at helping families stay together. I am awesome at managing my team. It feels awkward. Yeah. So we have a responsibility there. We can't, we can't rely on external validation for that stuff. We've got to take responsibility for ourselves because I'm sorry, <laughs> your employer isn't and the government <laughs> isn't and your professional association yeah. isn't. They rely on us to tell them what we need. Absolutely. 100%. Here enters my sermon. Good, good, good. Well, not good because it's fabulous, but it kind of like it prompted another thought that I had and it's, and it's not in the prepared questions that I had for you. Oh, so, fabulous. Do you, as I, as not like to me way back when, and, and we've talked a little bit about this, this thinking around what an entrepreneur used to look like 20 years ago being Murdoch or Branson or, you know, someone of, you know, mass fame and fortune and everything like that. To me, the way that I used to look at it as a, as, as somebody who may have wanted to be an entrepreneur, it's like, we've got to do everything ourselves. Oh God. So do you think this, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you want to know the answer people. <laughs> but thinking like an entrepreneur and like an entrepreneurial clinician within a private practice or as your own private practice, do you think that everybody needs to be able to be the master of all of those segments in their life as well as all of the business segments or like, do you have a different way of thinking around that? So, so mastery doesn't mean you're the implementer. So mastery means you have enough knowledge and enough skill and enough cri critical thinking to be able to go, I know how to delegate this and ask for exactly what I need. So I have a bookkeeper. I have had a bookkeeper since day dot. That was my mum. Uh, I have an internal practice manager I, and then we have external services. I am not an accountant. I am not an accountant. I'm also not very good at writing policies and procedures. Oh my God, I am awesome at creating brand new filing systems that I never follow. <laughs> um, I am not good with technology. So don't come to me and ask me how to SEO at the crap out of a website because I have no clue. I have no interest in that stuff. I haven't actually decided if SEO is important yet, but that's a discussion for another day. But I know enough about all of those things so that I can go to my bookkeeper and have an intelligent conversation and say, this is what I need from you to allow me to be able to do the planning I need to do to be able to make sure that I am compliant, but have the cash flow in my business to run my business. I can go to my accountant and go, your job is to keep me compliant, but also to help me minimize tax. So if I hadn't spent the time learning about that and understanding how those things fit together, then I wouldn't be able to have those conversations. Does that, does that answer that question? It, it does. It, it really does. Uh, which is, which is awesome. Which comes back to, I think, really knowing who you are, what you're excellent at and being okay and certain in yourself to be able to get the help yeah. that you need. So I know I'm a, a brilliant facilitator and trainer. I, I would not want anyone else training my team members until I've had a go. And if the training that I delivered what didn't, didn't hit the mark, then I'll go find a different type of trainer. But I'm pretty good at working out how people learn and how to get the best out of people. That's why my coaching clients end up doing what they do because yeah. I'm, that's what I'm, I'm good at. But don't ask me to put that in a procedure. <laughs> That's Sophie. <laughs> yes, the awesome Sophie. That's right. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. Hmm. So what's the one big thing that you would encourage any health professional mm-hmm. who wants to be successful in the career? And is this different to the number one thing that they would need to be successful in their own health business? So the number one thing is you've got to be prepared to know who you are and that goes across the board, whether you're a health professional and those things, those things might change a little bit. So if you do it in, if you ask me those questions in my early twenties upon graduation, my answers would be a little bit different now in my mid forties, but that's appropriate. That's stage of life stuff. We, anyone who's done any health professional training knows that that's an appropriate thing to do. So there would be at least every 12 months, me doing a revisit of, who am I? What do I want to not be known for? What is what is it that I? What mark do I want to leave on the world? Which are all yeah. questions about about who I am. But that that you've got to be prepared to be uncomfortable with that, because yeah. it's awkward, and you you're going to uncover things that you won't like. But you need to work out what those bits are so that they stop they stop being the barrier for you to being able to execute your potential. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> So I'd really love to ask you, because I know, and this is going to be another, possibly another really big question. I'm curious to know what are the three, really the gold nugget Mm -hmm. thoughts, thinking, kind of like power shot truth bombs. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. that you would, anyone listening to today's interview, anybody reading your book, what are the three big golden nuggets that you are really wanting people to take away? Hey, as health professionals, we're not just needed, we're necessary. So without us, the world would not be as good a place as what it is now. So if we step up, imagine the change we can actually create. So I'm pretty passionate about that. I, I don't like seeing the churn of the health professionals in the industry. Um, the second thing is regardless of whether you're employed, part-time, full-time, um, in, on a career break, you, you need to have mentors or people in your world that you can develop trust who will help you work through your stuck places. And I'm, I'm not talking therapeutically stuff. I'm talking about money issue stuck. I'm talking about self-confidence stuck. I'm talking about crisis in am I good enough stuck. You, you, you need to have those people who, who won't just tell you what they think you want to hear but will actually help you sort through to, to get to something that you, you know is true. Mm-hmm. You, I, nobody can do this on their own. And, and if you try and do this on your own, awesome, you can create the robots. Which is that's possibly a really good skill set for you to have. Um, and the, the, the third thing would be the way it is today does not have to be the way it is tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. So you get to choose. We live in, uh, I'm assuming the people who are listening to this are going to be in, in, in quite developed Western worlds. We have a unique opportunity. We get to choose. So if you have a small solo practice today, and you want to have something bigger tomorrow, well, you can do that. If you've got a big practice, I've done this more times than people realise, taking people who've had big practices and help them become solo practices again. 
because yeah. their needs have changed or their lifestyle demands have changed or the fact that they just don't want to work that way anymore. So I yeah. think they would be my three things. And I wasn't expecting that question. So thank you, Nicola. You're very welcome. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that the, before I, before we kind of wrap up, here has been some the three big standouts for me that I, I mean, I always love hearing you speak. It's why I love being in your rooms, hearing you do what you do. You are an absolute master at, at what you do. You care. You have, you're, you know, like you said, you're incredibly insightful and you, you understand how to make this real and practical for the people that you're talking to individually, mm. which is a really amazing skill actually and I don't know that it's a skill I think it's maybe just something that you have innate which is really awesome I mean some really three big things that I've taken away and and one of them that I think is really important is around shifting your thinking mm -hmm. I'm not a health professional uh you know and everything that you've been talking about I can see translates into almost any business mm -hmm. or into any employee uh, the second thing that I really took away was be, be prepared to be uncomfortable <laughs> with working through your stuff and, and being brave enough to go and do that work on you because it, you're right, it's, it's really important. Mm. And the third really big thing that I took away is around the importance of being you. Yeah, thank so, you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> gift <laughs> that you're that, that you're unleashing into the world and I'm I know I'm not alone in really admiring your commitment to your industry and trailblazing and and leading the way. So I'm just I'm really proud to be your friend and 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 to have done this with you. So the last little thing that I've got to ask from you today Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you feel like other than where to buy this book if they haven't already <laughs> or subscribe to the podcast if they haven't already? What, what's the one, what's the, what's the last thing that you would just love to leave with, with our listeners, your listeners today? If you do nothing else but listen to this podcast today, I want, the action I want you to take is come up with five people in your world that you trust that you want to create into your tribe that you could you don't even, okay so tribe has been an overused word think of them as your board of advisors people that you can go to connect with once a month you know not all at the same time because everyone's time poor but people that you can develop genuine relationships with and who can contribute and um it, it can help you become a better version of yourself because that's essentially what i want all of us to be able to do there we go beautiful <laughs> Well, Joe, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and the gift of you. Where can people find this book of yours if they haven't already got themselves a copy? So the book uh, will be available <laughs> will be available on Amazon because as soon as we work out how we can do that internationally, because Amazon Australia has taken over Australia, uh, and there's a website called joemuirhead.com, J-O-M-U-I-R-H-E-A-D.com, and we now have a tab that says book. <laughs> <laughs> it's really easy for people to find. So I'm hoping that those two things will help people um, understand where they can go to get this resource. 
Absolutely. Where else can they find you, Joe? You can find me on Facebook. I tend to hang out there a bit. Again, just search Joe Muirhead. Uh, I have a video blog, vlog that I do fairly regularly called This Is Private Practice, which um, uh, is pretty much the way I let off steam about some of the frustrations, but then also some of the joys that come with this. It's, it's about being raw and real and honest and, and not pretending that every day is sunshine, lollipops and unicorns. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, but I, I will preface that by saying that I use LinkedIn a, a lot differently to, um, that I do on Facebook because they're two social media, different social media channels. Um, yeah. So I think if you come and find me on, on the website, come and check me out on LinkedIn and Facebook, uh, you'll have a good understanding of who I am, what I'm about and, um, whether or not I'm somebody you might want to have in your world. Awesome. Sounds excellent. And that's where I'm, I'm hoping, not prepared, on your website that, they've, that there's places where people can find out how to work with you or how right. to have you come speak, uh, yeah. anything like that. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Thank you, Nicola, for suggesting that. It's a lot of resources on the website as well with more to come. And, um, yeah, and if there's an easy way to contact me. is Joe, I have a question and shoot it through the contact page and it actually ends up in my inbox. So, and I respond to them, not always quickly, but I do respond to them. <laughs> so it's not a, a robot is not going to respond. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> there is no bot. I'm not that clever. <laughs> no AI in the inbox yet. <laughs> no, yeah, not for me. <laughs> awesome. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks everyone for hanging out. Uh, this has been Joe Muirhead about the entrepreneurial clinician. <laughs>